What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my loves. It's Bridie back again. Another, uh, no, not Wednesday. It's Friday. Sorry the episode is late, but you're going to love this conversation that Jeremy and I had with Cindy Darnell. Cindy is a New York City-based sex and relationship therapist, and she's got a new book coming out called Sex When You Don't Feel Like It, The Truth About Mismatched Libido and Rediscovering Desire. We learned a couple new things, I would say, in this episode. Things like uh, why we might look at sex as unnatural and a little something that Jeremy is really latched onto called erotic risks. So take a listen and we'll see you on the other side. Uh, all right. Well, this is going to be fun. Uh, we are sitting down with Cindy Darnell, a sex therapist, couples a counselor, and uh, and a coach of all things life and sex, and the author of the new book, Sex When You Don't Feel Like It, The Truth About Mismatched Libido and Rediscovering Desire. Oh, uh, man. Uh, it's been, we've been married <laughs> for a decade, and I would say... It, this was a became a this became uh, I guess a red flag in a way for both of us. Pretty pretty quick. Pretty quick yeah. before we got married though. So we knew yeah. what we we knew. Well, we didn't know what we were getting into, but we that was already an existing condition. And yeah. then and then 
we're still fighting about it. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. We don't no, fight about it anymore. On, no, no. Uh, but uh, to your point there, Brad, I think this is a this this the book. This is a t- you know this topic. This is something that I think is going to resonate with a lot of our listeners. Cindy, uh, before we get into the nitty gritty of it all, take a moment, introduce yourself, let us know who you are, and uh, maybe a little bit of background into like how you ended up doing the work that you do. I always find it quite fascinating to to kind of. Uh, probe and find out how people get into the world yeah. of, of sex um, therapy we, and sex education. We love an origin story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my name is Cindy Darnell, as you uh, already heard. I'm originally from Australia and uh, now I live in New York City. And I've been doing this work for about 20 years, but I've sort of been orbiting around sexuality spaces even longer than that. So I, I sort of initially got into understanding and, and exploring sex in my 20s. Um, and I think like even before that, even as a child, like a small, small child, I had an interest in sex, but not it wasn't sort of carnal. It was more just um, what is this thing? Because I think, you know, one of my earliest memories is observing adults talking about it and their body language was very strange. And I remember that noticing mm. their energy was very weird when they talked about this sex thing. So I couldn't understand what the hoo-ha was about it. And then the more I discovered about it, either through sex education that I had at school, which at that time in Australia, we did have sex education, but it was pretty you know, rudimentary, babies, periods, erections, mm. no clitorises, you know standard yes. stuff <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and still I remember thinking why you know why is this such a why are people so uncomfortable talking about this and so this is you know I was in high school a very very long time ago and I think some things have changed but when it comes to partners talking about pleasure with each other and I mean real pleasure not just should we go to this sex shop and buy this vibrator. Mm-hmm. But I mean, really getting into the nitty gritty of this is this is how I want to feel and this is what gets me there. I think a lot of people still struggle with that. And additionally, I think a lot of people still don't know even how to talk about that stuff without feeling like they're standing on landmines all over the place. So mm. how did I get into this work? <clears throat> I've always been interested in robust conversations. I've never been a small talk kind of person. And it was always fascinating to me how even among my friend circles over the years, uh, people could not tolerate the awkwardness that came with discussing sex in a in a public context or even in a private context. Oh, mm. hi, puppy. <laughs> and, um, and so for me, you know, I was like the moth to the flame. I was just like, I want to, I, not only do I want to know what all the, all the knowledge I could get about sex, whether it's uh, practical or scientific or spiritual or, you know, completely carnal, the whole lot I was interested in. But then I was also interested in how do we take this knowledge to a much wider audience that mm. is way more helpful than these positions and this lube are going to mm-hmm. solve all your mm-hmm. problems because positions and lube don't, I mean, you know, they're fine, but they, they really are just the beginning. It's not the be all end all. Yeah, for sure. When, when you like, when you, 
what are, what are, like what is what's your background? You know, like in terms of getting into the work that you do, what's the education that you take? What are the what are the things that you like? You know, what what are your credentials? Like what 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 do you what, what's on your tool belt in terms of what you've learned um, and like you know degrees and right. stuff like that? So I have uh, I studied in Australia. I have five degrees, four of which are postgraduate degrees. Uh, one of them is in sexual health science. One of them is in narrative therapy. Uh, which is a style of therapy that was especially popular in Australia. I mean, it's a global thing now, but it was it was invented in Australia, which, uh, yeah, it's cute. Uh, and then I have uh, a degree in counselling and psychotherapy. I also have a degree in, in applied linguistics, which nobody mm. really talks about much, including me. I don't talk about it much. <laughs> um, there was a period in my life where I thought maybe I was going to be a linguist when I thought, you know, sex therapy was just too too hard you know there was too much stigma and I I wanted to see if I could be interested in something else and it turns out I couldn't be um and then my bachelor degree was in adult education so I was initially mm. trained to work as a teacher um and work with adults and when you first got so, into it when you first got into sex therapy did was it hard you know like like that that thought of like oh fuck I don't know this might be well it didn't really exist yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. I have to put this in the context of Australia because mm -hmm. at that time uh, in Australia, the only pathway into becoming a sex therapist was through if you had a medical background. Mm. So the only people who were even close to being sex therapists were either doctors or nurses. Mm. And while, you know, that is a pathway for sure, the the issue with medical professionals sort of commandeering sex therapy, which I, it certainly has changed since then, but um, that's how sex therapy was initially formulated because it was considered to be about function and performance and medicine mm. primarily looks at sex through a, a functional lens. So that's the things like, you know, Viagra and various kind of, you know, performance enhancing approaches and then and then surgeries to you know make things bigger or smaller or tighter or wetter or whatever they try to do with medicine all of it is about trying to fit some social ideal of what is considered normal sex these days sexologists which is where i see myself uh sexologists will look at sex through a multitude of lenses not just a medical lens mm. so we will look at it as a social phenomenon we'll look at it as an interpersonal phenomenon we'll look at it through the lens of science also um and we'll also look at it through politics and legislation because sex is one of the most heavily legislated human behaviors on the planet yeah yeah. And yet everybody gets into a twist about it and say, oh, sex is natural. It's fine. You know, when you're with the right person, it all just works out. If that were true, why is there so much legislation around it? Mm. You know? And so these legislations, and this is, again, across the world, obviously in the U.S., it's particularly acute with some of the, the ideas that are thrown around here. But in Especially a lot of today. countries, yeah. yeah, you know, in a lot of countries, there are strange rules and laws about what you can and can't do or, you know, how many dildos you're allowed to own or what rights you have if you're somebody who has a penis and calls yourself something other mm. than what you're supposed to be called. And, you know, all this stuff, you know, there's just so mm. much conjecture about what's quote unquote normal. Yeah, and that, that impacts how people feel yeah, in, totally. in their bedrooms. You know? 
to to that point of like how many dildos you can own. I just saw this like this post that's been going around and which is which is kind of a um um uh a take on the the gun the the mm, insane gun laws in, in the too. states, you know, and, and it was like in Texas you can own more dildos than you can uh, or no sorry in texas you can own more guns than you can own dildos or something like that and it's like yeah you know what like this country is just so fucked right now like what are we what are we doing but that that law those laws like of like oh you know in texas like you, can, you can't own more than five dildos or something so stupid um is is that are those laws that are like actually being implemented or the, or is the, are those those like those sort of laws that came into play like hundreds of years ago it's like like you can't eat an orange in a bathtub in california and they and they just like the, the laws kind of get buried like is that real you I, 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 yes 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 apparently <laughs> apparently that used to be a law really what? i don't know why i don't i'll i'll come That's i'll look weird. that up and confirm that but, yeah, yeah i mean like the dildos and guns thing uh i only heard about that this morning so you know i can't comment but um and you know, are they going to police that? Maybe I, I sort of doubt it. I mean, do they really? Yeah, who's the, who are the dildo cops? That? Like who are the dildo <laughs> right? Cops? But it's more about things like sex work. You know, that's a yeah. really big thing that is right. very yeah. heavily legislated. Um, uh, whether or not you are allowed to be gay or trans is a heavy thing about around legislation. Um, Non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. You can only marry one person. Mm-hmm. You know, like all this kind of stuff is is really that's the stuff where they really intervene in people's lives how you identify what you do mm. you know there are certain places in the world where ass fucking is not allowed it's right. like what yeah right. you know so this sort of stuff this really impacts and then not to mention the whole abortion hoo-ha that's like mm-hmm. obviously on top of the golden pile of shit so just one of the many reasons why sex is so fucking fascinating you know it's it's mm-hmm. it is one it's one of those things that we all we all have a desire to do at some point for the most part and we all mm-hmm. we all do it we're all here because of it mm-hmm. yet for some reason it's the most like divisive polarizing shamed stigmatized fucking thing on the planet it's so bizarre to me it is so and which which is why I'm so fascinated to talk to people like yourself who just dedicate their entire study to the act of sex and everything that revolves around sex. You know, the, the, I, the, we've talked to a number of sexologists on the show, but this is the first time I've heard a sexologist actually kind of break down like, here's all the facets in which we look at sex from, not just medical, but you know, yeah, it reminds me of and, occupational therapy. Yeah, 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 really. Like it actually Yeah, does. and I, I think like not all sexologists will take such a broad view. It depends mm-hmm. on their background and training. But because I was trained initially as a therapist and then I sort of moved mm-hmm. into sexology, but actually, you know, even though I've got these formal qualifications, a lot of the stuff that I actually use in my work these days is stuff that I've learned through my conversations with my clients over mm-hmm. 20 years because Again, the research into mm. human sexuality is really quite basic. You know, mm. we know some stuff, but we don't know a whole lot. So being able to glean information and gather data from actual humans about their lived experience mm. through a scientific lens would be called anecdotal evidence. But when you start having these conversations, you know, over 20 years with people, you do start to notice 
themes emerging that may or may not match the clinical data. Mm. Or maybe, you know, I mean, certainly some of the things that I've put into the book are things that I haven't even seen be studied, like erotic risk taking. There's no data about it. They don't, people don't even talk about it. And it needs to be talked about, especially when it comes to mismatched libido. Mm. Because, you know, having sex that is always the same and routine becomes boring. So we have to start talking about being able to take erotic risks. And then how do we bounce that off, you know, contemporary discussions of consent culture? Mm. That's a very, very nuanced discussion that we have Mm. to have. And, uh, and there's really no data on that. So, you know, the research matters. Absolutely. I'm not opposed to science and I am not opposed to research. It's just that sexual cultures are changing way more rapidly than research can keep up with. And so then as frontline sexologists who are in the trenches with clients, not just sitting in labs, I think I, you know, and people who do the work that I do are in a better position to be on top of the, you know, when I say trends, I don't mean like through a commercial marketing lens. I mean, the trends of what, how people feel about their bodies and the way they're dealing with themselves interpersonally they are the things that that are really changing rapidly and and a lot of that has to do with knowledge and a lot of that has to do with the internet Mm. i i want to know just briefly um you said these are the conversations we should be having and a a question just popped into my mind which is like who when you say these are the conversations we need to be happening we need to have happening do you mean sexologists like yourself and sex therapists like, how do you see, like, it's hard enough to talk about sex, you know, in general, just like we were saying, you know, politically, you know, and socially, all kinds of reasons that we, we sort of avoid the subject. So when you say we, who do you mean in, in like an ideal situation and in what Mm, context? I mean, I mean, literally everybody who is interested in humanity. (laughs) Everyone who's interested in humanity, Jeremy just stepped away, so I wanted him to hear that. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I guess I mean that sounds like the most. Because like, this is a human rights thing. Like this is, we cannot separate sex from the existence of humanity. Like it just, mm-hmm. we are sexual beings. Even people who identify as asexual live in a culture that is highly, highly sexualized. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even if we don't want to have sex ourselves, which is perfectly fine, and I'm all for that for people who decide they don't want to have sex, no problem. I think that's a very reasonable choice for a lot of people. And still, we live in a culture where we are sexualized sometimes without our knowledge or consent, or there are people around us who want to discuss sex and maybe feel like they can't or they shouldn't because of some moral code that says it's not okay to talk about sex out loud because sex is something that's supposed to happen behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. And all of this leads to shame and stigma, which we know then has not only mental health repercussions, but physical health repercussions. And, you know, all of this sort of intersects with, with people feeling, <clears throat> feeling the brunt of, of, you know, a lot of disconnection and, and discombobulation. This is, you know, especially young folks 
mm. have more access to more resources than humans have ever had in the history of humans. Like we are, you know, more resource technologically resourced than any of our ancestors and yet we feel more disconnected than we ever have before mm. so does that mean we should all be having sex with each other no but it does mean that we need to be able to talk about human connection and that also includes sex mm. i was listening on my way to the studio today to your conversation with nicoletta heidegger who we've had on our show as well um uh -huh. the sluts and scholars podcast and I, I kind of, something caught my ear and you just reminded me of it. Um, and I'd love it if, if we could talk about what your thoughts are on sex being natural. Um, I think what I, I think I heard explicitly um, one or both of you saying that sex is unnatural and that really changed the my perspective uh, <laughs> for a moment while I sat with that and listened to you chat. So I I'm confused. And Jeremy, when I told him, I was <laughs> I'm like, so confused. Ma make a note that I want to ask about that. And uh, he was like, what? All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People don't like that statement, but I really believe it's true. <laughs> sex. And my, my position on this is that sex is not natural. It's learned. And what Ooh. I mean by that is the instinct may be natural. The curiosity may be natural. So, you know, when I was talking earlier about my own sort of interest in sex as a child, that that was not, you know, erotic and it wasn't even carnal. It was just like, oh, you know, what what is this all about, this sex thing? I think that interest is natural. But the actual craft of sex, being a good lover, knowing how to navigate complex erotic mm. terrain mm -hmm. we are not born with that knowledge mm. there is no way that we are born with that level of advanced capacity to be with ourselves and others erotically in a way that genuinely brings connection and pleasure there mm. are people on the planet who are very competent at that but they have spent years learning how to do it in the same way that if you want to be good at playing piano or playing sports or painting you may have a natural affinity for it as a young person but even still you would need to learn and practice and mm. have lessons from you know people who know a little more than you to help you hone your craft to help you be good at it and in everything else we do in life that is a creative or pleasure-based endeavor music art sports we think nothing of taking classes and investing time and energy and money in learning how to be better at this thing because it brings us joy, because it brings us pleasure, mm. because it brings us meaning and purpose in life. But we do not allow ourselves that same freedom, that same possibility with sex because we have been tricked into believing that sex is natural, therefore we don't need to learn about it, therefore we don't need to discuss it, therefore we don't need to change it, and the story goes. That if you're with the right person, everything just works out. And if it doesn't work out, either they are the wrong person for you or you are broken. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. My mind is blown right now. That actually <laughs> like totally shifted my, my, my thoughts on, on, on sex in general. I, you see, my, my, I've, always, I've always said this and I've always felt this pretty strongly that for myself, like I, I, especially in my social group, especially with like a lot of my friends, I think that I view sex uh, a little bit differently than, than most of my close friends. Um, and for myself, I, I kind of, I view sex as like, as just a, primarily as a form of communication. Like, like that's how I, I view sex and that's how I've always really viewed it. And so, um, so like the thought of like the thought of being a slut uh, was never really, I never really phased me. I was, uh, you know, I was, I was like, Hey, it's just, a, it, I'm just communicating. It's just a way to communicate with other people. Um, and hearing you say this sort of remind, it, it makes me think about how, like, I, I feel like maybe, um, you know, like we're this notion that we are born, we're born, we're born sexual beings. We might have the innate curiosity for it. We might have the innate, um, impulse to do it. But, but like you said, we, we, we don't, we don't necessarily just have the skills to do it. It's very similar to like socializing and being social with people. Yeah. I, I think we are, we are inherently social beings, but to be good at socializing, you really need to like actually work on it. You know, it's something that, but, but to that point, I feel like social with, with socializing, you can kind of get away with learning how to socialize yourself, you know, through mm-hmm. trial and error and, and through your own, you know, your own curiosity and your own drive to be a better communicator with people, whether that be through work or through your friends or, you know, whatever. Do you think that that also applies to, to sexuality? Um, that, you know, you don't necessarily need to like to educate yourself via um, classes or, or like, or reading books or like, do you think that there's, there's an innate ability to, to learn to be a really good lover or learn to be a really good sexual partner through your own sort of um, your own 
curiosity and your own drive to like be better? Uh, yes. And with a caveat. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, I think absolutely. I think trial and error is a wonderful teacher. And the caveat is this. If your subjective experience is bereft of empathy, is bereft of intuition, is rooted in your experience being the only way you can hold and process knowledge and truth, you, in, you are in danger of limiting your capacity to be with and understand others mm. if the discomfort of others in your presence makes you shut down, which for a lot of people, particularly cis men, unfortunately, they are not taught from a young age how to process discomfort. Mm -hmm. And so they often struggle to hold space for their own and other people's because they haven't invested the energy in learning how to be uncomfortable and not shut down. Mm -hmm. So yes, ultimately I do agree with what you're saying. And I, I don't necessarily think that formal sex education is the only way to learn. In fact, I think sometimes that, that can be an inhibitor, but without the capacity to learn how to do emotional regulation, and be able to check the impact of one's own behavior on those around them, you are in danger of perpetuating let's say myths mm. without meaning to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I'm, I, I want to, I really want to kind of break down uh, the book uh, again, the, the title of the book, sex, when you don't feel like it, the Truth About Mismatched Libido and Rediscovering Desire, which is available now. Um, uh, can you, I know that this is not a, like a sex guide or like a how-to manual. Um, can you give us a sort of breakdown on like, what, what is the book? What, who, who is this book intended for? When people get the book, like what can they expect to kind of take from, from reading it? Hmm. So it's, it's a how-to guide insofar as I guide you through a journey of, discovering yourself. So I don't tell you what to think, but I do tell you how to go about engaging with yourself in such a way that brings your erotic wisdom forward. Mm. And you may discover things about yourself that you think are wonderful and exciting. You may discover things about yourself that make you uncomfortable. You may discover things about yourself that match perfectly with your partner or partners. You may discover things about yourself that don't match particularly well with your partners. So when people describe a sense of having lost their libido or lost their desire, often what they're talking about is they've lost connection to this feeling of horniness. So horniness, mm. and I write about this in the book, I make a real distinction between horniness um, and desire. And so what I mean by horniness, obviously, is, you know, this physiological kind of undeniable sense of I'm horny, I'm horny, you know, let's fuck. But because horniness is so unreliable, especially for people in long term relationships, especially for people who uh, maybe have been 
who are recovering from illness and that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, because our society is so hell-bent on horniness being the sole motivator for sex, it reduces our capacity to be able to engage with sex in ways that are not so dependent on horniness. Mm. And this, the, you know, some of the research has shown us that there are well over at least, you know, 200 documented ways that people uh, get motivated for sex, that horniness is, is really just one of them. But because, again, we've been tricked into thinking that horniness is the only reason that people have sex, that or making babies, um, when really there are lots and lots of reasons that people have sex and horniness and making babies are just two of them. Mm. The other thing too that we have to understand is that this idea that we have to be, you know, quote unquote, in the mood and before we have sex comes from this idea, I guess, sort of from the 1950s and 1960s that talks about this idea of, you know, you got to get in the mood and then you start having sex and then you have an orgasm and then you sort of roll over and go to sleep. And what we know now, again, from the research is that that is not true either, because for a lot of people, the mood will often come once we start doing the thing, but whatever the thing is, is often the piece that we really have to, to negotiate with ourselves initially and then with our partners, because if we always default to sex being some kind of genital activity, whether it's, you know, vaginal intercourse, anal intercourse, mouth intercourse, like, you know, whatever you want to call it, if it always defaults to that and your body has a visceral reaction to being like, oh god that, that feels like too much work or something else mm. we can you know we dismiss so many other aspects of skin hunger and body hunger because again we've been tricked into thinking that the only way to satisfy an erotic urge is with your pants off mm. but when you talk to people who are you know hardcore bdsm enthusiasts they talk about a world mm -hmm. of erotic possibilities and you don't even have to take your clothes off for a lot yeah, of that stuff yeah. so and that's the research, you know, and again, I don't just mean clinical research, although I back it up with a lot of science and data, but a lot of my, my, the work that the way that this book unfolds is through guiding people step by step to, to consider and reflect on, you know, these are the questions I want to invite you to chew on. These are the experiences that I want to invite you to in, experience within yourself because they are the guides to your erotic template each of us i believe has an erotic template within us and here's the even more exciting part it changes through our lives so the mm. template it's not like your star sign like you're not always going to be you know or you're going to always be an aries i guess but yeah. you know you're not always going to have the same erotic template as you move through your life your body changes your tastes change your values change uh, you're, the more experiences you have, the more people you sleep with, the more sexual practices you engage with, you start to know more about yourself mm -hmm. in the same way that, you know, when we talk about food and I can say to somebody, what's your favorite food? And they'll say, oh, you know, I like, I like Chinese food. I like Mexican food. I like Spanish food. I like, you know, Indian food. Mm -hmm. And then I say to them, oh, have you ever had? Ethiopian food and they're like no no I haven't you know I don't, I don't know if I would you know but it's because we only know that we like the foods that we like because we've tried them mm -hmm. and in a lot of cases we don't give ourselves permission to try stuff sexually and again I don't just mean defaulting to 
pants off activities. Like mm-hmm. if we if we if we limit ourselves just to that, we're gonna have a very empty experience of sex over time, because our bodies um, become accustomed to whatever it is that we're doing. So, and that's not to say that the sex we once had that we necessarily don't like it anymore. You can still like a thing and not want it. Mm. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so this is where it becomes very nuanced and very complicated. And so the book really tries to make that as simple as possible. So it's not just reams and reams and reams of science and data and facts. It's here's the data, but what does that mean for us in our beds, in our bedrooms, in our lives, mm-hmm. being regular people? How does this science inform how we can feel more joy in our relationships? That's what I'm really interested in. Holy shit, I have so many fucking questions. I just, <laughs> I, I don't. And so I'll, I'll be happy to take you, let give you the floor here. But I, I, I'm just stuck on this um, idea that you said sex is learned. And, and I'm thinking, you know, just as early as we learn, we learn as children that sex is like penis and vagina. It's like, okay, if sex mm. is learned and we can, we could, we could offer we could offer a whole world of possibility that's not so narrow and we could do that starting at a really young age then mm-hmm. then you know sometimes i get all like we got to start we got to start with the kids cuz mm-hmm. it takes so long to make change that we want yeah. this generation the next and the next and the next generations to arrive at this age mm. way without trying to solve the same fucking problems mm-hmm. <laughs> right that, that we have been Right. And that's the thing. And I think, you know, again, you know, we we can sort of think about how do we how do we help the kids with this? And remarkably, children are are already pretty good at this stuff. They are pleasure seeking machines. Yeah. As soon as they come out of the oven, like that's that's all they are for years until they are told on repeat that it's not okay to be pleasure seeking machines. Then they learn how to shut those sensory perceptors down. So I actually think in terms of cultural change, it's not so much what we teach kids, but what we teach ourselves as adults. We are the ones with the adult privilege who get to have these discussions, how we demonstrate our relationship to sexuality in our homes. Our children observe us in that way. And that's not to say that parents should be having sex in front of their children. I don't think that's <laughs> true, to be very clear here, let, let me say that. But when kids hear parents talking about sex, or if they hear that their parents never talk about sex, what message does that send? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yes, has to be age appropriate. But at the same time, if the children, like I did, if I, I picked up that par- that adults were very uncomfortable talking about sex and I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't have the cognitive ability to say, oh, that adult is having a da-da-da. I just was like, wow, that adult is being weird. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That was my sense of it. Like I just knew that something weird was happening and I didn't know why. All I knew is that this thing they were talking about was a bad thing. Mm. Turns out it wasn't a bad thing because I studied it and I was like, there's nothing wrong with this. This is fabulous. <laughs> but, <laughs> but for many years as a kid, I carried this idea that this magical weird thing that adults didn't talk about and if they did, they had to talk about it in hushed tones, that I could only interpret that it was bad. Mm. So I think 
our, our attention has to be less on how kids are mm. and more on how we are around them because that that informs the messages that they get. Not just the homes. Obviously, they're going to pick up information from, you know, advertising and social media and, I mean, even Disney for crying out loud. Like, not that Disney is about sex education, but Disney and, you know, Pixar and its associated uh, child entertainment gives us a lot of information about how human relationships are supposed to play out. And again, there's not a lot of nuance in, you know, what I call romance culture. Mm. It's sort of, you know, boy meets girl, or maybe occasionally boy meets boy or girl meets girl. There's a little bit more advancement in those areas now. But there's not a lot of kind of nuance around well, what happens if you're single or what happens if you're you know if, if your parents are separated and and how do you navigate a sex life then like all these things and so people mm. get into such a twist about oh, porn is ruining the children and I'm like mm, I think kids learn about sex through lots of different things mm. and you know porn is one of them which yeah they shouldn't be watching it but guess what they are but they also learn equally twisted messages from children's movies about how gender and relationships are supposed to roll out without you know the nuance in their lives that they 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 go into the world with these twisted ideas that adults put on them because we have not mm. worked out yeah. how to be comfortable with the nuance of sex and relationships yeah including yeah. the idea that sex and love are a hand and glove because they're right. not they're not the best of friends either they they can be they can complement each other for sure but again this idea that love and sex you have to love somebody before you fuck them it's like no you don't mm -hmm. <laughs> you know and you know and then you can really love someone with all your heart and just never want to fuck them ever mm -hmm. yeah yeah i'm i uh i i fucking love this conversation right now this is so great <laughs> i uh, one of the things that um when you were explaining the book that that sort of came up for me that i'm just curious about um you know you were saying that a lot of a lot of people think uh that sex happens for one of two reasons because you're horny or because you want to make a kid um but what are what are other examples of reasons why people fuck outside of those two Right. Uh, well, some of the ones that spring to mind, again, this is from the research, one of them that <laughs> springs to mind was revenge. That was mm. a reason that people mm. cited uh, for medicine, so to get rid of a headache or a cramp or something. Mm. Uh, money, obviously, is a very big motivator for people to have sex, to get money either explicitly or implicitly. Mm -hmm. um, boredom was another one, and that people would have sex when they were bored. Uh, what else was there? Mm. They're the ones that spring to mind. But the, the research study is by Cindy Meston and David Buss. Um, and, and I think it's called Why Humans Have Sex. And they listed 237 reasons. Whoa. Why. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, and that's really cool. my hunch is that there's probably more, but sure, that was yeah. what this what this study came up with. And still 237 is, is pretty impressive. Mm. Um, but it's amazing because of the way, again, that as, as a society, we conceptualize that sex is all about horniness and babies. Mm. And when you actually talk to people about the reasons that they have sex, which is a huge discussion that I have in the book about, and I've got a whole chapter dedicated to why we have sex. 
And I don't mean why from an evolutionary point of view. Yeah. I mean, why from a like you as an individual sitting in your chair, yeah. reading my book, how does this relate to you and your sex life, you know? And there are going to be multiple whys. There's not just one. Um, but sometimes our why, if we are honest with ourselves, then we think, oh, is that is that a good enough answer? Should, mm. is, that an, is it okay for me to want sex for this reason? Mm-hmm. You know? People have sex for validation. Mm. Tell me that I'm sexy. Tell me I'm desirable. Tell me I'm a real man. Tell me I'm hot. Like a lot of people mm-hmm. are motivated by that. I love myself that. included. I mean, I, like that's a, and, and that's something I feel like I've struggled with actually, like, and and only really coming to terms with that over the last like few years. But you know, making this realization that like, oh wow, my my self confidence is so fucking heavily tied to my sex. Yeah. Like it, you know, when I'm not having sex, I'm I I just spiral into this like, you know, self hatred. <laughs> it's so fucked. Um. You, I, you were about to say something, but I, I kind of. I was just gonna say that I love that that money made the list. Uh, there's a yeah. an account I was gonna bring it up, so I got his name right, but an account I follow on Instagram, and I think it's Doctor Sprankle. Does that ring a bell? Doctor Sprankle. Sprankle. Oh, Sprankle. Okay. Anyway. Oh yeah, Eric. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he he had made a post at one point, and it was like, it's okay if you if 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 you require certain things, you know, like. For, to have sex and and one mm. of them he listed was money and that it just like mm-hmm. kind of blew my mind because um you know we know a lot of people who work in the sex industry and as a young uh woman probably you know 17 18 I remember fantasizing a lot and I think it still plays a part in my sexual fantasies quite a bit of being paid and I remember when I was going through my like dating uh years in my early thirties when Jeremy and I opened up our relationship and I was having sex with all kinds of different people. I was like, it's interesting because I don't have any emotional connection to these people. Right. And I can have sex with them and feel fine and good often. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes the sex is bad and that's okay too. But I, I'm going through my head being like, this is kind of, you know, the, if I was getting paid for this, this would not be a bad job. <laughs> it wouldn't be you know? too shabby. Yeah. <laughs> be, yeah, totally. I know. I know the reality of sex work is is different than you know <laughs> dating on Tinder. But I, I just that the fact that that plays that that hit you know the top of the two hundred and thirty seven, or at least that stood out to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I find really, I, I I would invite listeners to to kind of uh, feel seen if that's also you Mm. you know and you've been yeah absolutely and i mean you know obviously money in the context of sex work like an explicit exchange is one aspect of it but there are also a lot of marriages that are Mm. based in that which Mm. again makes people feel a bit icky because we want to think that marriage is about love but historically and again i go into this in the book historically marriage for most of the human history marriage has been about money yeah and we don't like to think about I wish we could talk more about that. Yeah, I I, like. I don't know if that plays a role in sex and relationship education too, but you know, I I think it's in reflection and after being wed, you know, even with the knowledge that there's no such thing as happily ever after. I think that the reality of what it means to be 
married on like paper and in a legal and like financial sense specifically is still structured like mm-hmm. marriage is about yep. money. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And that's it. It still is for a lot of people. It really, really is. And, and because we're not allowed to talk about that because it's sort of, you know, people spend, you know, what I think the average estimate now is that an average wedding is $50,000 these days. Yeah. People spend it's more so money crazy. on their weddings than they do on, you know, on getting sex and relationships education. It's just like, or like what? yeah, or like, you know, we, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to come off as, as like a piece of shit in saying this, but like, you know, one of the, bigger barriers for a lot of people when it comes to like seeking therapy, whether it be relationship therapy or your own personal therapy is, is the financial aspect that comes with it. Right. Tell you right now you save that $50,000 <laughs> instead of, instead of blowing it on a fucking wedding and you, t- yeah. you know, we're going to put this 50,000 into our, I, into our couple's therapy pot and use that yeah. for the next 25 <laughs> years. Yeah. You'd probably be a, a lot healthier. You in, might make in it to that 25th you might wedding make it anniversary. There. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think so. I mean, I really agree. And, you know, I recognize that, that therapy and, and it's associated offshoots coaching and what have you are are definitely privileges and mm-hmm. yet when people think about spending money on on stuff like weddings to fulfill goodness knows what motivation that's all about um because again i mean i can't help but think it's been people have been tricked into thinking that you know when you find the one and everything just works and you know it's quote unquote natural there's that word again yeah it's all just going to work out. Yeah. And if you look gorgeous on your wedding day, then then you've done your job. And that's the Disney story. Like that and is that's the, the Disney story. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I I I mean we're we're I like have goosebumps. Sl- and we're slowly coming up to time and I I still I have like a list of shit that I'm like, <laughs> "Oh fuck, I got to get through this." Um but I, but I don't want to rush anything. But but there, but one thing like I, and this didn't really come up in conversation, but it did spark this thought. Um um the things that we've been talking about and Maybe this is too big of a question. I, I don't know, but I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, why do you think that, why do you think when it comes to sex between, um, you know, two people in, 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 uh, two people in a relationship for a lot of people, I feel like this is, this is probably true. Why do you think we are so obsessed with, with climaxing? What, why, why, like, what is, what is the deal with like the goal oriented views surrounding sex and that goal being you must come and I must come? Uh, two answers spring to mind. I think the first one is that a lot of us, you know, when I talk about the, why do we have sex? I think a lot of us are motivated by validation. I think more than probably anything else, probably even more than pleasure and connection we're motivated by validation, but we pretend that we're not. So the fastest way to get that validation is to be able to say to somebody the dreaded question of, did you come? Yeah. Was it good? Um, which, you know, we know, well, hopefully, maybe some of your listeners don't know. They're not great questions to ask in, in any context, but uh, particularly not in sex. So that's the first piece is, is why we obsess with climaxing, I think, because of validation. And I think the second piece is because we have, again, through the absence of helpful sex education, meaningful sex education, we have been tricked into thinking that 
the only way to measure a successful sexual encounter is whether or not somebody had an orgasm. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, especially women, uh, orgasms are great and they're wonderful and there is such a thing as an orgasm gap and I am very much in favour of orgasms and I also know that for a lot of women, this is based on me talking to them for 20 years, a lot of them are like, you know, yeah, the orgasm is fine, but frankly, I can do that myself. When I'm fucking somebody else, I want to be taken on a journey, mm. and that's what they want. Wow, mm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Can you can you also talk to us about? And you you mentioned this um, uh, quite a bit earlier, but um, the notion of of erotic risks. Mm-hmm. What are erotic risks, and and why why might they be important? Um, uh, in exploring within a relationship? <sighs> Very fat question. <laughs> uh, in five words or less. And <laughs> aye, aye, aye. All right. So <clears throat> there are two, I'll give you two parts to the answer. And I, I have to give you two parts because otherwise I'm a bad sexologist. So the first part of it is about because of the brain science. So the brain science is such that we become accustomed, we acclimatize, we acclimate, whichever word you use in Canada for that. Um, we become accustomed to a thing. Repetition is a thing. So that's how we learn to ride a bike, for example. In the very first instance, we get on a bicycle, we're wobbling around and it's like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. And we fall off and fall off and fall off until one day we stop falling off and we ride the bike. And for the rest of our lives, we don't have to think about balancing. It will feel quote unquote natural. So the brain becomes very accustomed to this thing. And now we even have an idiom to say, it's just like riding a bike. Once you learn, you never forget it. And your your brain sort of, you know, the, let's say the neural pathways develop as such that you, you will always be able to balance on a bike. Great. Now, the same thing happens with sex, even if it's great sex, your favorite thing, you're really into whatever the thing is, you know, eating pineapples while getting fisted. You love it. It's the best thing ever. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. Until one day, like, oh, want to do that anymore Mm. but it's not necessarily because you don't like the thing it's just that your brain has become so accustomed to the thing that you have to find something else to do and so in the case of that it might be about finding a new activity but also it might not be about an activity it might be the environment you might need to change the environment you might need to change the context you might need to be you know, uh, in in the morning rather than at night kind of thing, Mm. or at even a more advanced level than that, it may not actually have anything to do with the activity or the environment. It might actually be about your emotional state. So if your emotional state is constantly at this sort of mid-range and you want to take it either higher or lower, you might need to practice, you know, being a bit more vulnerable, being a bit more you know, something that's edgy. And so when I talk about Mm. sort of edge play for certain people, if you are, you know, you have a penis and you identify as a man and the majority of your sexual experiences have been about you acting out that role of I'm the man, I have the dick, I'm going to stick it in you and you're going to love it. A real risk for somebody like that might be experiencing the vulnerability of being penetrated. Mm. and having Mm. this enormous mental shift and power shift and and a whole shift in the way they experience their body 
from sex being an external experience because the penis is outside the body to actually experiencing pleasure inside the body. That is a form of erotic risk. Mm. Being able to tolerate emotional discomfort for some people is an erotic risk. So it doesn't just necessarily mean bigger, harder, wilder, you know, swinging from whatever and Mm -hmm. swapping partners and, and not even doing shit that's dangerous. I don't mean that. But I mean, being able to expand and stretch yourself in such a way that you push yourself to a new place within you, whether it's sort of, you know, energetically, psychically, um, emotionally, all these other parts of us that come into play that make sex good, because the mechanics of sex, like the monkey bit of sex, which is just the, the grinding bit, that bit is very primal like that Mm. you know there are only so many positions or whatever that you can do before it's just it is what it is right Mm. so the stretch the excitement the the spice the twist when people talk about spicing up your sex life you know that's why toys and lube are not going to cut it i think in terms of spicing things up that's just the beginning because if we are not engaged with more parts of ourselves, we are not ever going to find the fulfillment we're looking for mm. when we only when we only operate at base level all the time. So taking a risk is about expanding yourself into other levels of your being. Not everybody wants to do that because it's risky, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But for people who want people who describe satisfaction with their sex lives, and I talk about that in the book too. Not just what's wrong with people. And it's like you know, I don't push people into a cookie cutter of you know this is what fabulous sex is but I do talk about again based on the conversations I've had with people over 20 years the people who describe satisfaction with their sex lives tend to have three things in common they tend to be curious they tend to display willingness and they also are very good at the art of acceptance Mm. a lot of people have to work on those three things within that. And I call this the triangle of satisfaction. That's one of the chapters in the book. Satisfaction is determined solely by us, but it is informed by the world around us. Taking erotic risks is the intersection of our relationship to ourselves, our relationship to our partners and our relationship to the world around us. Mm. and so when people say you know oh it's just sex it doesn't matter I'm like are you fucking kidding me Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. this is one of the most complicated things we can do unless of course you just want to have monkey level sex which is perfectly fine but if that ultimately becomes boring for you which for a lot of people it does that's where the content of my book really comes into its own it's for people who are bored with monkey sex who want to do something different Holy shit. That was the best description <laughs> of like spicing up your sex life that I've ever fucking heard in my life. And and it, like, I, I mean, honestly, like, I feel like this is one of the things that most people. I mean, so many people that I know have like have. Especially when us starting this podcast, have like come to me and asked me, like, how do I. Like I I feel bored with sex. Like, what do, what do you what do you do? How do I do this? And I'm like, I don't I fuck. I don't know. But then, yeah. like this, this idea of, of of erotic risks, like what a what a what a fabulous way of putting it, and and sort of breaking it down. It's it it really does kind of 
it really does kind of break it down in a really digestible way that is is so much greater than just ah just spice it up you know try uh, try try watching porn together or whatever the fucking you know whatever the fucking go to example is that most people just kind of think in their yeah. head because yeah. it's one of those things it's one of those things I find that like because I've been there you know and 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 oftentimes I feel like when people are in that position where where they're bored with sex or or whatever's going on you you don't even really, you don't even really, for a lot of, a lot of people, it, it's like hard to even put your finger on what the fuck's going on. Like you, it's hard yeah. to even tell that that's, that's what you're feeling, you know? That's exactly right. And that's why this is so complicated for folks if they haven't, <clears throat> pardon me, if they haven't had, you know, education in this, you know, to going back to your yeah. question about yeah. can, can we do it without yes. support? Can we just do it by ourselves? I mean, yes, to a degree you can, but unless you have the mental and emotional dexterity to ask yourself these questions, which most people don't, I think. Yeah, that's not, like it's not because so, they're dumb. Like yeah, they just, we don't have conversations <laughs> like this in public. Like yeah, where yeah, are you yeah. going to get that knowledge from? You know? Yeah, that's the that, that's like Cirque du Soleil level dexterity in, in terms yeah. of, you know, like, yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, oh, man, I, 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 I'm so... Sometimes coming into work, I'm like, oh, I gotta go to work, and then I'm, and then I have conversations like this, and I go, "Fuck yeah, dude! What I love going job. to work." Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, Cindy, this has been just really an absolute treat, uh, folks. The book, I mean, if you just listen to this and you're and you're still on the fence, get your fucking life. The book is "Sex When You Don't Feel Like It: The Truth About Mismatched Libido and Rediscovering Desire." I think this is probably a book that, even if you don't feel like things aren't like ideal in the bedroom, this is. This is a worthy education. And you know what? I'll, I'll say I'll put this out here, too, because I was speaking about the barriers to, to therapy that, you know, the the accessibility issues and, and, and the, the, the costs associated with therapy. You know, I haven't read it yet, but I'm buying this book because right now I, I don't feel like I can I can afford therapy. And this mm -hmm. is a super accessible and healthy alternative if you're in that position where you can't afford to see a therapist or to see you yeah. know a, a, a couple's like you know sex coach or whatever books like this exist so that you can at least have the tools to try to work on it yourself and yeah um this is a this is a perfect example of why why people like cindy are putting this stuff out there because it's it's important stuff it's important work uh, so the book is available now. I take it uh, available wherever you find books. Yeah, online retailers primarily. I don't know that it's going to be in bookshops. There's shipping restrictions sure. for various reasons, COVID, blah, blah. But all the big online retailers will be carrying it in a hard copy and an e-copy. Amazing. Uh, Cindy, how can people stay up to date with your work and what you're up to? How can people find you? They can go to my website, which is cindydarnell.com, C-Y-N-D-I-D-A-R-N-E-L-L.com. I'm also on Instagram. I'm fairly active there, cindy underscore Darnell. Uh, I have a TikTok that I've never used because <laughs> I just, I look at it and I just, I feel like I need to lie down after I look at TikTok. You just need, um, to, learn, you just need to learn a couple dances, that's all. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm dancing around <laughs> pointing to words. I need to, I need to brush up my dance skills. And... Um, uh, what else? Uh, I have a newsletter, which I'm pretty active on. I also have my own podcast called The Erotic Philosopher, uh, which by the sounds of things, you know, it's not a football podcast. And um, I interview other 
sexologists and sex people and just, you know, it's a mix of clinicians and academics and a lot of sex workers and just people who know stuff about sex. I don't think that, you know, keeping everything in the silo of academia is uh, is especially useful. We need to be able to, you know, bring it to the people. And so that's what the erotic philosopher is about. Uh, what else? What else? I have a newsletter. Now I have a book. I have a bunch of online classes uh, for other people too. And um yeah, so I'm I'm around, and you know, I for those who are interested in working with me, one on one or two on one, I do have uh, I offer all my consultations via Zoom these days, and I may do workshops again at some point. Mm. I haven't got any planned yet, but uh, maybe yeah, we'll bring we'll you up to Halifax. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah, I'd love to. I've never been to Canada. It's a pretty special place. I know. I, I would like to. I sort of everything kind of got squashed with COVID, you know. Yeah. I sort of, yeah. And you I, are, you I, in my life, I've been pretty itinerant. You know, Australians yeah. tend to get around a bit, but yeah. um, but I have not gone to Canada yet, so yeah. I would love to come. You Aussies fit right in up here. Yeah. We, we, we always love a good Aussie. I think we're very similar culturally. Like I think I think so too. Yeah. There's yeah. a real simpatico. I understand. Mm-hmm. I think I've never met a Canadian I haven't liked. I mean, there's a bunch Maybe of you have, there's a, there's a bunch, there's a bunch of pricks up here. I'm sure there is. Well, I could say the same about Australians. You know, yeah. Australians have this reputation for being nice, but I know a lot who are fucking awful. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, Cindy, this has been just such a treat. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to sit down and talk with us. My pleasure. All right, there we go. That, that was, was charming. That was, I mean, it was more than charming. It was, it was extraordinarily eye-opening for me. I really liked that conversation. You know what I think we should do? Start a library. Like a library maybe for our patrons. Like of, of, of all the books? Uh-huh. Yeah. We, we just, just got Nisha Fair's book uh, just got delivered <gasps> here. Woohoo! Yeah, I, I can't a, wait I got, to I read that. copy for you. I have so much summer relationship reading to do. Yeah. And no time, no time to do it. No time indeed. That <laughs> let, I feel like no time is the theme of this week. Did things just like accelerate? Is that just what happens when it becomes June? Yeah, I guess so. It's like make hay when sun shines kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I feel like I just uh, fucking butt chugged a Red Bull in terms of all the shit that's going down. Um, folks, uh, listen, so bad news. Got some bad news. Uh, well, it's not bad news. It's just, it's an, it's like slightly unfortunate news, but, uh, our live show in Ottawa is not going to be taking place, uh, because Ew. there was a scheduling conflict and now I can't go to Ottawa, but you're going to be going, um, you're not going to be doing a live show by yourself. No, I can't do a live show by myself, but I'm going to present at this conference by myself. I'm going to present our podcast at this yeah. little convention at Coca. And I'm nervous. Uh, you'll do great. I think they'll fall in love with you and it'll be great. And then we'll be doing a bunch of uh, college shows. Coming to a college near you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, big, uh, big, big apologies to anyone and everyone who bought tickets to see uh, Turn Me On Live in Ottawa. Um, we're going to miss seeing you. We're like. going to keep your money, though. So fuck you. Um, <laughs> uh, no, we're, we're, we'll get uh, those refunds. I'm going to buy those. some tap dancing classes with that money. Ew. What do you mean, ew? Dude, you know what's... <laughs> you know what? 
<laughs> There's nothing more cringe than tap dancing. I'm sorry. Anybody out there who's a big tap dancer who listens, I, I, I'm, I'm sure your tap dancing is cool. <laughs> but the other There's... day I was at a, I was, is someone tap dancing on the fucking bubbles <laughs> yeah. right now? Um, I was at a bar the other day and it was like jazz night. And uh, oh, I feel bad for saying this because, because, because Halifax is small. But you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to say it. It was you, jazz night and they had a jazz band playing. Yep. And for some god awful reason, there was a guy doing tap dance as the percussion. And it was the most horrendous wow, thing I've ever you, seen. It was so bad. You know bad. what's funny? It was so bad. I, I, and I, I couldn't think, stop laughing at it. I think maybe. It really made me uncomfortable. I'm having a major light bulb going off because I feel like maybe I knew that about you. That I hate tap dancing? I think we may have had this conversation before. It's so dumb. <laughs> it is so dumb. Look. <laughs> and then the fucking, the, like the thing they do with their arms and their hands. It's like, guys, come on. Get, get real. You know what's so funny? is <laughs> I was getting ready to come here for to record this episode. Yeah. And I had like a bit of a stressful morning and I was like, okay, I'm going to put some music on and I'm going to dance. And as I started dancing, I was like recalling all of these old things I had learned in my tap class, yeah. which I only dabbled in tap, but I have, I still have my tap shoes. And while I was dancing, you know, and I've been thinking all school year about getting back into dance in some way, shape or form. But as I was tap dancing, I was like, fuck Yeah. I'm going to get back into tap dancing. Oh my God. And then I was like, oh, but Bridie, you don't have money to go to dance classes right now. And then I was like, maybe if I had a sugar daddy who would pay for my tap classes, that would be the arrangement. And then I was like, this is great that I'm having this fantasy in my head because I could talk about it later on. Turn me on. And then I got here and we're like, we're not going to do an outro. But here we are. We ended up with one. Oh, yeah, we got a little one. Uh, anyway, sorry to all the tap. Think of how badass it would be to be a 60-year-old me, actor, you know, just re-entering the, the theater or film world and being like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm 60. I still have acting chops. And no one really knows this about me, but I'm a wicked tap dancer. Look, I don't have a problem with tap dancing. I have a problem with tap dancing over top of jazz music ruining the jazz <laughs> you know when like you're watching jazz and it's like all right let's do the uh let's fucking go for a a, a little like a little uh sax solo or like let's bust into a piano solo or let's bust into you know whatever fucking instrument is on the they bust it into a tap solo and like i had to leave <laughs> i had to go and here's here's the other fucking thing the guy was just when he when they took a break, he was just walking around the bar in tap <laughs> shoes, and like that's not annoying. Also, they look dumb as shit. Oh, babe, I can't believe look, you just stomped on my latest <laughs> fantasy. Literally, hey, I support you tap dancing. Just don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> don't in do it around in, you. Don't do it in replacement of a drum kit in a in a jazz trio. <laughs> Because there's nothing more god awful than that. I know exactly the facial expression I would get from you if I started tap dancing near you. It's the same expression that you give me when, when I, like I would put on one of your t-shirts and I would like try to like take my bra out from underneath it, and you would be like appalled at how I was stretching out your t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So anyway, um, uh, so, uh, so thanks though, folks, thanks for tuning into the podcast. Thanks to all of our tap dancer listeners for, uh, <laughs> putting up with us this far. And, um, and, uh, we're going to, we're, we're not going to do an, uh, an, an aftercare segment this week. Um, we're just going to kind of keep it with the uh, lovely conversation we have with Cindy. Um, and, uh, we thank you. Thank you for tuning into the show. Thanks for supporting the show. Um, if you want to support further, you can, leave a rating and a review on Apple podcasts. You can, uh, leave a rating on Spotify. Um, or you can, uh, simply just join our Patreon, patreon.com slash turn me on. We wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't for our patrons. We love you all so much. We love you more than, uh, the regular listener. And if you're a tap dancer in that Patreon group, it cancels at the tap. So, (laughs) so we just love you. I loved you anyway. <laughs> um, uh, the episode next week is, again, if you like this one, then you're really going to love next week's episode. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to bring it to you. Um, and I hope you're all having, you know, early happy pride. S- summer vibes. Oh, yeah. Happy Pride to everybody. That's right. Yeah. And um, you are. And, uh, and I'm very sorry to everyone living in Ontario right now. Uh, it's like anti pride. Oh, really? I didn't, I didn't know that was happening. Yeah, it's uh, election. Everyone's really sad about it. Oh, God. Okay. Well, stay away from the news, everyone. Take care of yourselves. And we love you. And burn your tap shoes. All right, folks. <laughs> that is it for this week. Until next week. Go touch yourself. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.